0: Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw and Ryan Buckeye. What's going on, everybody? Welcome inside the Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, Sunday fun day for us. Josh Shaw and I, hardest working men in the rooms. One in Austin, where there's no snow. One in Minneapolis, where there's a lot of snow. Uh, But this is, you know, we, I think a lot of people don't understand, when you're an entrepreneur and you own your own business, the days of the week become sort of just like non-existent. Like, today's like Tuesday to me.
1: Yeah. yeah. I have no idea what day it is most of the time. My girlfriend always laughs because she's like, says, oh, well, on Thursday, I said, I don't know what day it is now. So yeah. I, I have no concept of it. To me, it's just kind of like a continuous grind, which I think we both love it. So it's not necessarily something that we dread. Like I wake up and I'm excited to get to work, regardless if it's uh you know, a Sunday or if it's whatever, most people consider that, you know, relaxing day or, or do whatever they want to do. I, I love doing what I'm doing, so this is relaxing to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a different way of relaxing. Like, for me, sometimes I'll be like, don't really want to work today. But once you start getting into it and you start getting deep into what you're doing, then it becomes enjoyable. So um, not that you people care, but, uh, I mean, we, uh, we have a cool topic today. It's actually a little bit different topic than what we've discussed. And with the recent um, you know, indictment on ABH Nature's products and ABH Pharma, and then I think there's the domain name. I can't remember what it is. And, uh, you know, my time with Mills and, and the influx of potential licensing deals with industry, we want to talk, kind of talk about, like, the investment opportunities within this space and why you should and why you maybe should not touch the space. And Josh and I both work in this space. We love this space. This space provides us a, a good living. But at the same time, there are risks associated with the dietary supplement industry. But that's not to say there's not risks associated with any industry. So we're not trying to say, like, just this industry, but we want to paint the picture on why, say – A licensing company is not going to partner with ABC brand because of X.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I see this from a different angle, so I think this conversation will be pretty good because on my side, I'm usually working with uh, some of the private equity firms or or venture capitalists that are looking at the space, sometimes large strategic. So I'm usually working more on like the due diligence projects and trying to get them a little bit more comfortable with the space because – um, they see the growth rates, they see uh, the macro trends, they see mm-hmm. things um, and, and based around maybe some of their legacy categories or maybe some of their legacy investments or businesses that they 're in now they they look at our space and they say, "There has to be something here. there has to be you know some good entrepreneurs, some good companies that are worth investing in and usually i 'm the guy that 's trying to help them understand you know, kind of the, the mud or the dirt of the situation of like, okay, here's where there's some risk or here's where there's some exposure. Here's where some opportunities at and kind of digging into that for them a little time, but totally agree. I mean, I think this is one of these conversations that, um, needs to happen because I think it's a different angle than most people are talking about this subject matter. I did not cover it at all. It was not something that I wanted to cover because I, it's not normally in my realm of, of my brand. I know that, you know, you covered it Mm -hmm. and some of the other guys um, covered it from their angle. I appreciated uh, Mark Glazier's uh, comments around it from his perspective. I thought that was extremely useful because he kind of took more of a educational angle to it, which I appreciate wholeheartedly in terms of that angle. But I think, this topic is kind of right in my wheelhouse in terms of like how I'm seeing yeah. the situation. I didn't want to comment around, you know, some of the things around the safety and, and things of the, of the actual manufacturing because that's not my day to day type of a, a thing. But um, this does affect a lot of the stuff that I do.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned venture capitalists and people looking to invest in this space. Yeah. The growth rate is there. It's, it's obviously like a $40 billion industry or whatever it is. And it's keep growing, and people are more cognizant on their health today, and they're turning to the dietary supplements for help, but high risk, high reward sometimes is, is kind of the thing that comes to mind. And sometimes, I mean, as a brand, you can control all the, all, all the things. Like this whole ABH thing, if a brand says, well, we didn't know it's their fault. No, it's your fault. You, you can definitely third-party test your products. You can go and do an audit. You can do all these things to make sure that they are a, a manufacturer you want to partner with. So at the end of the day, if you're on that list and um, you know you actually had – adulterated products, which is the definition uh, of, of what the FDA says is an adulterated product, is the stuff that went on the market because ABH wasn't following certain policies and procedures set in place. That's on you. At the end of the day, it's still on you. So um, I want to start with, I guess, first off, Josh, you have, you yourself have, say, I don't know, like ten million million, five, five, $10 million. Would you invest in this industry or would you look elsewhere? And you're, you're in this industry. So like you, you would know, but like, Would you yourself spend your own money in this industry? Um,
1: I mean, it's a loaded question because I obviously I I always think of things in so many different, you know, what if, uh, this, then, whatever. Um, But because I know the space so well, I would would make sure that I obviously was very selective on who I gave that $10 million to, but I think that – I would. I feel a lot more comfortable in 2020 than I did, say, in 2015 or 2010 or even 2000, quite honestly. I feel a lot better with that investment uh, today because I think that there are clear winners and losers based around whatever, and I think there's also clear – um, winners and losers, depending on which variables you want to consider the investment through. If it's you know from a, list or a risk uh, layer or, or opportunity or whatever you kind of want to look at it, I think you can zero in on a proper investment. And I think you're going to be able to um, get a return off of that. I think that you're seeing that already with some of these exits that are happening in our space. There is a validity to the space. You just have to see through the trees and be able to pick the right teams, the right products, the right strategies, and if you are kind of patient enough to let it ride enough, I think you can get a pretty good return in the space as long as that team kind of continuously involves.
0: There's so many different investment opportunities as a venture capitalist. Like This is one of them, obviously. Um, you're going to Expo West coming up here in a couple of weeks. There's a huge investment opportunity at that show. I mean, a lot of these places are small. We've talked about that before. So, like, if that question is flipped around to me, would I? I mean, I love the industry. I love the space. I know the space. So, I mean, I have a huge bias towards it. Yeah, I'd want to be in it, but is it the best usage of my investment dollars? No, I don't think it is. I mean, I I think that you probably um, could get better ROI and probably a little bit more of a safety net, maybe in different industries. And not to say, not to like be selective and say this one's going to be better than X, but the supplement industry is just, it's weird. It's different. And if you're outside the walls of this industry, you you don't quite understand it. it, truth be told, it's a childish industry. I mean, it, it's an immature industry in terms of leadership. Now, that's not, not to say everybody within the space uh, isn't, you know, can't conduct themselves as an adult, but we've had this conversation before, Josh. There are a lot of people who own supplement companies that, um, they, they quite frankly, they don't have a clue. They don't know what they're doing. They are, they're getting by based on luck or maybe they have the right people in place, but there are a, hand, there are a handful of CEOs and people at, atop the chain who are adults who conduct themselves accordingly, who are professional, um, but but a large part of it, it really isn't. So um, I, I don't think I would spend my $10 million in the space. I think I would try to maybe look for something different. And I mean, if I'm looking at like we talk about functional foods slot, lot, I would probably look there and, and see what's coming. What's that next wave? I mean, that might be an opportunity as well. Um, but I, it's tough. It's tough because like you said, there's this what if game like it has to be the right fit, the right investment. You have to look through the books. You have to make sure that there's nothing going on in the history of that company that could potentially come back and bite you. Um, so, we I've talked to Dan Dan over at Ghost quite a bit about licensing deals, and obviously they're one of the companies who have been legitimizing licensing deals within the space. That in turn helps the entire supplement industry um, because you know venture capitalists are looking at this and saying, okay, Mondelez, who's a massive company, trust within the supplement company like that says a lot, you know, and they're doing good with it. But then you have other companies. Who I'm not going to name names, but we've had other licensing deals that have been announced that have just been sort of disappeared off the face of the earth. And it yep. leads you and I both to kind of text each other and question, like, what happened? Something happened. You just don't erase uh, a, a, a big licensing deal away from your brand. So that is the flip side of that. And when I was at Mills, and I still today, I have a bunch of brands that reach out to me like, do you have contacts at General Mills? They want to license Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Lucky Charms. Why wouldn't they? That's nostalgia for a, a lot yeah. of us as adults. But Mills won't touch them, and they won't touch the, the space. At least they hadn't when I was there because of the risk associated with the industry. Do you think that Mills has a legitimate reason in that case to not partner or not licensing out their assets, their IP, to the dietary supplement industry?
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, you have to think, like, these are billion-dollar assets. These, in a lot of cases, are the most um, important asset for these for these. Portfolios, you know, for them to trust a another industry, another kind of person to shepherd their brand in a space that they're not they're not in. So if somebody does something just even remotely wrong, that draws any negativity Mm. towards that, it does knock down that brand. So if you are, you know, you're, you're dealing in cereal all the time, and all of a sudden somebody wants to come in and put it in a protein powder, but you don't really have all that much understanding about just how the manufacturing process works, how the you know the FDA deals with it over um, some other regulatory bodies, and and you you start to throw up red flags, mm-hmm. and you start to think like, is this worth it? Is am I actually going to get a you know an actual material benefit off of this? Um, and that's where a lot of this comes down to these license deals. Like they have the leverage, as you know, like at at Mills or Mondelez or any of them. Like they have the leverage here. Yeah. It's it's not the the other side around. So they basically are going to present. Uh, a very difficult case for you to, to match based around financial or, um, you know, operational type of things. And you're going to have to meet those. And if you don't, they can say no easily. There's no benefit for them to say yes, or uh, to bend to somebody else unless they can really believe in the story of, of the person across from the table. And, and that's tough a lot of times in our space, because there's so many different things. If it's, Financial it's like, okay, we want X per dollar and sometimes those things are a lot of per unit Mm -hmm. um, cost So depending on what your retail channel strategy is sometimes it just doesn't work out for you from an economic standpoint And then secondly, there's like, you know, they're gonna ask for certain volume year-over-year type of a thing to keep your uh, License deal a lot of times that is a tough hurdle to to match as long as you know Especially if you don't really know uh, Or trust that you're gonna have a, a pretty strong growth Kind of trajectory, and then after that, it's all around. Okay, you're not manufacturing this yourself. You don't own your own manufacturing. Now we need to kind of peek into the books of your manufacturer. And as an example with Ghost, um, I think that they were very thoughtful in the in the way that they approached uh, manufacturing. And this is kind of a good. Um, Kind of thought around the ABH type of situation here is that um, if you have a strategic plan in terms of like where you want your brand to go, and you want to you want to have license deals, you want to be um, in a certain um, kind of spectrum of, of business um, brands, and 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 be able to to, to interact and, and transact with those types of brands, you have to make sure every one of your pieces of your business line up perfectly mm. for that. So picking somebody like Armada might seem not that big of a deal. They could have picked 10 other people that they right. could have picked up. But Armada, you know, is, is owned by Pernova, which is almost a billion-dollar mm-hmm. ingredient. Now, Pernova is now owned by Nagasi, which is a multi-billion-dollar right. Japanese corporation. So, like, all of a sudden now, Mondelez is having the kind of backing of Nagasi where they're saying, like, okay, well, this – They're going to look bad as well if they they kind of have some issues here. So we feel a little bit more comfortable. We're comfortable with Ghost, but we're also comfortable through the whole scale of this thing. And, you know, with contract manufacturers, there's a bunch of different certifications. You know, one, a lot of times with the food, they like BRC over like some of the other kind of ones that we have in terms of like the more international food standards. So like you have to make sure that facility is ready for that, especially when you're dealing with, again, multi-billion dollar food brands that – really are going to have sometimes a lot of like inclusions in the terms of like the uh chips ahoy you have inclusions in the product so they're going to make sure that that is exactly to the specifications and the standards they need to make sure that everything is going to be you know good that chips ahoy can be put on that label and they trust that it's actually going to be something that shepherds their brand in a positive manner in a space that um, you know they're not they're not playing in right now over like oh shit there might be some risks and some issues here and we don't necessarily trust what's going on.
0: Yeah, 100. percent I mean, can you imagine like, when I was at Mills if you're making it, and I did this uh, as a joke last April Fools like a gushers flavored pre workout and that pre workout has something that that harms somebody. I mean, that comes back on General Mills, even though it was just a flavor. Like, they had nothing to do with yeah. the formulation. But uh, I think what a lot of brands, too, don't realize, and you hit it on the head, Josh, is like when you get – it's not just as easy as going into a licensing agent and saying, hey, I want your IP to put on this, and we're going we're gonna to flavor it. Like, at Mills, too, they would send out their own auditor to that contract manufacturer, to that facility, and audit them internally, because that is how important these IP, this IP is to the brand. So, um, you know, if you're reaching out to me or Josh, be like, hey, I wanna license something, you better first take a look at where you're manufacturing your shit, and make sure, like, are you comfortable going into a Model going into a General Mills, going into whatever it might be, with that manufacturer saying, we are gonna pass every little thing that you have, because they're looking for different things than what we look for in the dietary supplement industry, and Josh, you hit the nail on the head with that. Um, on top of that, yeah, you're going to be expected to pay probably an, uh, uh, just a, an initial fee to secure that license. Then you're going to be paying a royalty per dollar. Then you're going to expect expected to hit volumes. Um, and how you lose a licensing deal. So if people are like, how can you lose a licensing deal? Well, it's not super hard, right? Like you can do something wrong, do something bad. Uh, but more commonly, probably in this space, how you lose a licensing deal is not paying your bills. Not paying, the, not paying the company in which you're getting licensed, which means you're not paying your royalty. So if you don't pay up, we have a past due invoice. They're going to pull it, and they're going to require you to pull everything down, uh, or they're going to file a suit because they own that IP, and you sign all the paperwork. So, it is very difficult. So, I mean, when, when people are looking at a brand like Ghosts and being like, "Yeah, it's not that big of a deal." No, it's a pretty big deal. It's a really big deal because they have a lot in you know a lot in terms of like you mentioned strategic alignment a- across their entire um, you know processes from manufacturing to branding to, to flavor to everything to make sure that they're safe when it comes to like, – the last thing they want to do is have a Sour Patch Kids flavored something do do wrong because that, that impacts their entire business. It impacts Armada. It impacts Mondelez. Or, actually, Mondelez doesn't own Sour Patch Kids, do they? That's not one of theirs. Is it? No, they do. It yeah. is that one? Yeah. Okay. Um, but there's a lot to it. So like, it does bring legitimacy to the space. And now for Dan and Ryan to go in, they can virtually go to a bunch of different you know, IPs now and try to get them because they have proof of concept, and, which yeah. is great. But that doesn't mean, like, if you're in this space and you look at Ghost, like, well, Ghost did it, so therefore they're helping us. That's not necessarily true. Yes, these uh, licensing agents can say, okay, well, it worked for Ghost. Why will it work for you? I mean, sure, it helps maybe get your foot in the door. You know, there's been a brand that's done it before. But it's no guarantee you're going to secure it. And that's why we don't see many of them. I think right now, Josh, correct me. There are two brands. There are two brands right now with licensing deals, BSN with Coldstone. Um, yeah. which is Glombia, which I mean is is no a no brainer because they own the entire process. And then Ghost, who has done, and it wasn't like Ghost did this overnight. This was years and years and years yeah. of work, and you know this more than anybody. But is there? There's not another brand that has a licensing deal, is there? That I can think of.
1: Um, domestically, I don't think. I think internationally, I think you have a few. Um, but um, I think maybe like USN, maybe just in their uh, South African market or one of the European markets, and then I think maybe. Um, one other one, but it's not actually a uh, flavor food one. I think it's like around, is it uh, Dragon Ball Z or something? Oh, like yeah. That yeah. That is, okay. Like so like there's show.
0: Hellboy with Insane Labs and there's different like yeah. things yeah, like so that. Yeah. So you have
1: some of those ones, which are a little bit different, I think, in terms of them trusting um, that IP over you know an actual um, consumable or digestible type of product where uh, people are going to quickly attach those things together but um yeah you see you're starting to see a little bit more licensing in our space but but far and away it's it's not necessarily something that just because ghost had done this or um you know bsn had done this that it actually brings you a better chance at it i think that it maybe opens up that first conversation a little bit easier like you might you might be able to get in the room Mm -hmm. um a little bit easier now than you used to but you're still gonna have to have your checks and balances on the back end of your business, which is where the vast majority of the differences in the companies that win and lose are at. It's like, you, you can tell very quickly Around how they think and how they approach the back end of their business and the alignment of strategies and, and everything, then um, the front end. A lot of times, people confuse the front end because there are a lot of similarities and substitutes. Where you know, one brand looks like the other brand looks like the other brand looks like the other brand, and from a consumer standpoint, they all kind of you know look look a little bit of the same. Uh, but on the back end, my side where I'm looking at things, I can very easily tell the difference between somebody that that uh, has got their checks and balances in that side of things and ones that are just kind of. Riding by the seat of their pants and hoping that you know everything works out for them.
0: So that begs a the question: Then, what do we do as an industry to make ourselves more attractive? What do we do as an industry to make ourselves more investable from venture capitalists? Make us investable in terms or partner? You know, uh, partner. What's the word I'm looking for? Like being able to partner with like with these licensing companies. Like a stay the stay the fuck out of trouble. I mean, I think is the yeah. big thing. But that, you know, the ABH farmer does not help. Um, but I mean, is there any? Recommendation from your point of view and from your perspective, since you've covered this industry for for many years and you've seen a lot of good. I mean, there is a lot of good. Let's not kill ourselves. A lot of good no. in this space, uh, but the bad always will outweigh the good. It's 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 always like a one negative review will will outweigh you know accumulation of twelve to fifteen positive reviews. I mean, that's how it is. What do we do, Josh, to make ourselves more investable as a, as a space?
1: Yeah, I don't think it happens overnight for sure. I think that it's going to be something where there's there's gonna need to be proven cases that have happened. I think that we talked about this in previous podcasts where um, there were a few of the protein bar companies that were um, fostered from our space and um, sold. And I think that those uh, really help. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. that when you have outside investors come in and be able to exit in a profitable manner, um, that looks good for other people then to come in and say, let me take a look at this. Maybe I can see through through the trees. Maybe I can find the right entrepreneurs, the right story, the right brand, the right products, all those types of things and make um, a positive investment. I think that that is from kind of the outside in. I think that we need more of those positive stories. I think yeah. we need more of those that not only um, sell for a good uh, multiple, but also end up proving well for the person that purchased it. I, I think that that's where Things have struggled a little bit. If you look back at all the other like kind of acquisitions, um, you know the EAs's and and maybe even some of the ones around Glambia, like there is a struggle sometimes to see like a huge investment on that. And and people can argue that that also happens like in the food space or the beverage space. I mean, you still have to be able to run that brand in a positive manner mm-hmm. after you own it, but you're going to need to see more of those stories. That's outside in. I think from the inside perspective what i'd like to see more is that brands get set up as like i mean these are businesses people need to set these things up like businesses they need to think about strategy they need to think about the stuff that's unsexy the the accounting, the the legal, the regulatory, the you know, the operational things. Like there are things that are not fun to do and a lot of the owners do not want to do them because they wanna be at trade shows and with models and they wanna, you know, be out there flossing and doing whatever they do. Like, cool. But that's not gonna get you to get any type of outside investment because what's going to happen is somebody's going to come in and and we're talking here about like sound investors, sound P firms, you know, venture funds, um, large strategics, like, like general mills. They have tons of people that are both from the inside and the outside, you know, somebody like me that comes in and I literally just pick holes into your business. Like it's like, you've never seen it before. You're Mm -hmm. just like, I've never even thought of these things before. I've never even approached things that way. So what I would say is like, you know, You need to set it up. You need to be a business. You need to think about things in a business manner. Set yourself up for the future. So if you aren't thinking about what you're doing three years from now, five years from now, like... One of the big things I always ask my clients is, "What is your what's your exit strategy? What are we working towards here?" And a lot of times they take a step back and, "Why are you asking me that question? Like, mm. what do you mean? I'm I'm trying to grow my business, but they haven't gotten past the point of like, yeah, I'm going to try to grow my business, but are you trying to sell in the next two years? Where you know, are you trying to become uh, a mass brand? Are you trying like, there isn't that like strategic plan that is there and for." You not to know where you're going, it's hard for you then to set up your business in a strong manner that then when somebody wants to invest in you will be easily understand what you're trying to accomplish and be either saying I can add value to this with my capital, my you know, mm-hmm. my understanding of the business or or not. A lot of times what happens is it's just not set up properly for any of these people to even come in because all they're going to see is like – you know, a lifestyle business. And I use that term, not in the sense of like ghost ghost lifestyle, I'm saying like, you know, it's somebody that's just running their business as like, they're in it every day and they're enjoying it and they're making a little bit of money, but it's really not an investable company. It's just like a one man show with maybe a sales guy or two. It's not Mm -hmm. really a true business, something that somebody can get around and say, this is going to return my money 10 times, 20 times over.
0: That's important to note, too, because if you're a brand and you have, say, 100,000 followers on Instagram, it doesn't mean you're an investable business. Like, let's just keep that in mind. Like, Your, your reflection on social media is not um, – perception is not always reality. So they, are gonna, they they have to look into your books. I think it's super interesting. First off, you said flossing. I, I don't know how old you are, Josh, but you're much yeah. too old to be using the term <laughs> flossing, so never <laughs> do that again. Um, a brand that is, that is interesting to me and intriguing to me and I'm excited to see this year – is Post Holdings Diamatize because they, we've talked about this before, like they own all this IP on the serial side. Um, you know, from, from Post, the serial company is held by the same holding company that is, holds Diamatize. So it'll be super interesting to me to say, can can they in turn leverage their IP together to help legitimize certain things? And, and we've talked about this on prior podcasts before. I think we both think they're going to, um, you know, and do that at some point. At least I think they're going to at some point to do that. Um, but then, if you own the IP, like say Post owns the IP on the cereal side um, and, and they use it on the dynamitized side, from a business standpoint and, and in terms of a, a much larger impact on our industry, does that help legitimize our industry when they actually own the IP but they're willing to take the IP from the cereal side and place it on this sports nutrition product that's held by the same holding company?
1: I'm not sure. I mean, I think that it helps maybe some other strategics, maybe think about um, integrating or, or purchasing something a little bit differently. I think that you're going to see a lot more of these um, kind of um, ecosystem type of plays Mm -hmm, where you're going to have, you know, some different um, be the like product categories or just like uh, integrations with um, manufacturing or supplier or uh, maybe owning some retail spaces or whatever it is. They're going to, you're going to start looking at your business in, in a more like portfolio way. So, I mean, it might help in that sense where like, you know, post holdings, um, goes and gives them one of the serial things. They see it does pretty well. So then it maybe makes to yourself, you're like, maybe I should go out and buy, you know, something that's uh, applicable to that I can, I can use some of my IP, um, and, and actually, you know, create a good amount of return on this because I don't know what post holdings uh, I mean I know they own about 80% of Bell Ring brands I think maybe 75% I don't know what the actual percentage is but um you know Diamantize has has not been doing all that well and they have not been for a while um and I don't know if they want to throw you know good money at at, at Bad Bunny in a lot of senses you know what I mean like put your put your IP maybe they give them a C C brand first maybe try to try to play with it I mean that that portfolio is is all about um premier nutrition's mm-hmm. uh, RTDs I mean that's the, it, it basically should have been called the uh, premier nutrition yeah. uh, portfolio it should, should not count, have been the For uh, sure. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah but it, um yeah no it, I, I mean i think overall i mean i think you're going to i'd like to see i'd like to see more um involvement I, I from my side i mean i already see more interest in it i think a lot of people are peeking into the space they're asking questions um i think that the people on the other end of it, you know the, the brands on our space, they need to understand maybe the how well um, the investment space knows our space. Uh, you and I know like if you go to a like a GNC or a vitamin shop as a brand um, and you do a demo, you could see very quickly what how low the consumer's at from the understanding of like just basic stuff like aminos or, or yeah. uh, creatines or whatever, uh, but it's the same way for these. Um, investors, like they're going to come in. Really good example here. I, I was talking to uh, Mike McCandless, which used to own um, Salvation um, before he had sold sold the business to Nutribolt. Um, he he was telling a story around private equity, and he said one of the biggest questions they asked, and what they were most worried about was that they believed that amino acids would be pulled off of the market uh, by the FDA. He mm-hmm. they thought. That that was going to go away because sure. there was a risk there. And you think about it at that level, like that is what a lot of times the the base of understanding of these investors it are working on. So you, yeah. you have to really like take yourself down to that level as well and really realize like they're going to ask these questions uh, that you're going to think, man, that's just a little bit interesting why they're asking this because they just don't they don't live it every day. They're, they're not living and breathing it. They're not at this level, you know, far advanced that where we're at. They're they're thinking about things from a very like low exposure risk layer and saying, you know, is this something that is gonna be scary? So we're talking about things like 10 degrees more scary than anything they're even worried about in our space because there's just not all that much understanding. and. What you and I um, are trying to do, and others are trying to do recently, is like we're trying to be more transparent around the industry. We're trying to give voices to the people that, for whatever reason, have never really spoken all that right. much. You know what I mean? Like, open up the contract manufacturers, open up the suppliers, open up every everybody start talking more. Mm-hmm. You know, the more the information, the more that people understand about our space and understand that there's you know, really smart people around in the space, the better it all. Appears, you know, the better that everything is going to look because there's, they're going to be able to really research our space and go, wow, I actually can get a better understanding. I can actually understand what's going on. But for the, whatever reason, it was always in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever wanted to get around and actually put themselves out there from the business side. I mean, there's a lot of people that obviously talk a lot around the end product consumer side, but like there's actually a lot of things behind the scenes that it's just. Still very much in the dark that needs right. to come out.
0: And I think a thing that'll help to the space is, I mean, more publicity around some of these. Like- acquisitions, too, depending on who the the venture capitalist firm is. Like, I mean, you look at, right, the Quest billion-dollar thing. That was huge. That was good for the industry, although Quest was more of a functional food. It wasn't a well, they have powders. I mean, they have protein powders and stuff like that. Um, But even, like, you go back to ProSupps, when ProSupps was acquired or at least not 100% acquired, but, like, a big portion of it, right? like A big portion of it at ProSupps, like, they're owned by an investment firm. It it has the the majority stake in ProSupps, which is a dietary supplement company. Things like that, if they're publicized more and people are understand like okay this investment firm which is very reputable decided to invest money in this maybe I should start looking into it. So maybe maybe the dietary supplement industry just needs the rock to come in and buy a company. You know? And he goes in and he does Under Armour, boom, people love it. He does Voss water, boom, people love it. Comes out with a tequila, now I'm gonna be an alcoholic. That's all this industry needs, I think, is is Rocky Johnson the Dwayne the Rock Johnson to come in. But I mean in all seriousness any sort of um, I guess crossover into mainstream helps the industry. So even like a brand like performance who has John Cena on the brand, that's a, that's like a mainstream crossover. John Cena, obviously a bodybuilder, but an actor now, and, and he's in different digital commercials. And I think that also helps kind of outside firms recognize like this space might be enticing because I think a lot of venture capitalists and you can correct me if I'm wrong, they're probably, they're not familiar with the space and they probably don't automatically think like to put their dollars into the dietary supplement industry yeah, um, because it's, it's sort of like an afterthought. They're thinking on, you know, uh, they're, they're thinking Silicon Valley, where can they put their money there versus, you know, Tampa, Florida or Boca Raton, Florida. So it's I think if we can generate more positive noise and do some crossover into mainstream media at some place, more and more people will start kind of taking note and saying, OK, maybe it's not all that bad. This is this is a good thing um, and quite frankly, we haven't done a great job of that, I don't think, as an industry. I mean, it's a, there's, there's just, it, we're a very digital first industry at this point now. There's no commercials anymore, which is fine. Um, you know, but like, I, I just don't, I mean, e- people that use supplements every day have no idea about the industry. Why would a venture capitalist firm spend a lot of time on it unless somebody like Josh goes in and says, hey, maybe you should look at, maybe you guys should take a hard look at Redcon One. They're the fastest growing supplement company, you know, since Muscle Farm or whatever it might be to draw attention.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that. Y- When you first asked, you know, should I give the 10 million bucks to this space? I mean, I think in my head, I'm working around knowing even some of like the inflated multiples on like technology and, and all those types of things. And I think that's helping investors come to this space. There's a lot of industries that are very overvalued right now in the markets, just because things have been very good. And, and there's certain areas that everybody wants to get in. And because of that reason, you can ask for kind of whatever you want. And some stupid people will say yes. And uh, a smart lot, people a are, lot of stupid people, <laughs> at, yeah. Uh, and a lot of smart investors are going, okay, well I, I cannot justify that. Let's look at other spaces. And that's why you're starting to see, you know, CPG become a very big space for, um, investors. And, you know, for me again, um, you know, talking back to that original question, like I think of sports nutrition much differently than most people, you know, to me, sports nutrition also includes like functional foods and beverages because that to me in my, you know, my use of sports nutrition, that's kind of what I use. Mm -hmm. People can go back to some of those episodes we talked about, like, what do we take? I mean, I eat a lot of protein bars and energy drinks because like, that's easier for me to consume than mixing up a powder or whatever it is. But, um, I think that there's a ton of eyeballs coming towards the space. I think that what we need to do is just continuously add positive deposits into the bank and really try to limit these super negative withdrawals that are happening around, you know, an ABH or, or whatever it is. It's, you know, I'm not going to place the, the blame totally on ABH, even in this sense, because like the FDA had eight years plus of, of things yeah. they could have done. And, and like, you know, this is, uh, looks bad on them as well, which I think a lot of people in the industry need to make sure they're paying attention to that because anytime a government agency looks bad, they're going to overreact towards the other direction. So, um, who knows what's in the uh, future, but regardless, I think that you know, more people acting appropriately in the system helps everybody. That's kind of been my MO for forever is like, we need to think more altruistic. We need to think more um, industry as a whole, more of the You know, the the we over me type of mentality here is that you you really have to think like the better that we all do here, the better we're all off in the future unless you plan on leaving in the next year or so. But I'd imagine the majority of the people in the industry that you and I know or you even me and you like we we want this all to keep going up because if it does, you know, 10 years from now whatever we're doing today is going to be worth a lot more 10 years from now. So I think people need to start thinking like, let's all act much more appropriate in the system here. Um, That is going to help everybody become more investable, help them uh, be able to do the things they see other industries do more, much more mature industries. And maybe that's also like the learning opportunity. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, a lot of people in our industry, they go to two shows a year. They go to the Arnold and they go to the Olympia. Maybe they go to something else, but like, Think about going to other shows, like network with other business professionals in yeah. other industries, like get out there and like, see how the other places think and, and, and approach business yeah. and, you know, whatever, like take and learn from other industries because, um, that's what I've done my whole career. It's done very well for me. I know that you've come from a different space as well. Like it's just, I think you start thinking about things differently. Take what is great, what they do, apply it to our industry and it'll help and teach other people, bring other people Mm -hmm. under your wing and and try your best to to kind of make sure we're all doing things in a positive manner. I I, I know it doesn't seem like it's going to benefit you directly, but I, I guarantee it's going to directly benefit you in the long run. You just kind of have to approach it in that manner.
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. there are a billion shows out there, right? CES is huge. It's even fun. Like that's entertaining to go to CES. Yeah. If you if you even pick up a remote control, you should be going to CES. Or you go to a home <laughs> and garden show. For Christ's sakes, it doesn't matter. Just go to something and figure it out. Um, you know, it is interesting as I wrap up the show here too. Like you look at say the automobile industry, right? Chevy had an issue with the their ignition systems, and um, I think there's the the the, the Takata airbags, it didn't impact the entire industry. People didn't look at the industry and say, oh, the whole industry is bad. It was like bad on that brand. But in the supplement space, when something happens, it's like, oh my God, the whole industry is bad. So, like, we need to keep acting appropriately to get to the point of, say, the automobile industry or, you know, whatever it might be, where that if there's a a single dollar event, it only impacts that brand, not the entire space, um, and brings the entire space down. So, if you like what you heard on the podcast, hit that subscribe button, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Make sure you check us on social media where we're at Facebook, Two Guys, One. Shaker Cup. Um, Follow us on social media. Josh over on LinkedIn, too, very active. We've been posting a lot of these on LinkedIn, getting a lot of good feedback and engagement, and I think this will be another one that we get to, and I I think... At the end of the day, you know, the big takeaway here is like what Josh just hit on is, like, start acting appropriately and start doing those positive deposits in the bank. Go back and do the basics of business. Start over if you have to, in terms of that, because like a lot of you out there probably just said, I want to start a supplement company and uh, you have no clue what your exit strategy is, where you're going, or why you're going there. So, um, and if you don't know that, Hit up Josh Shaw. He will give you a discount of zero <laughs> percent. Uh, he needs to fly first class, and if it's abroad, he needs one of those Delta One laydown beds, or he's not c- coming.
1: I'm not. I I'm, uh, trust me, guys. I'm not that bougie. Trust me. <laughs>
0: podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Podcast and more. Follow us along on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Two Guys One Cup, Instagram and Twitter.